0: You're listening to the Castle View Podcast. We bring you our views on the latest news stories from around the world. My name is Andrew, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by Callum. Alright! And Paul. Hello! So, first episode of the Castle View. How are we guys? Pretty good, yeah. Well, hope this goes better than our last project. Yeah, (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Paul, what about you?
1: Yeah, good as well, mate. Not too bad at all. Fantastic. How about you?
0: Yeah, yeah, good. Paul, our listeners have said you've, you have know, you manly-fy your voice a little I, bit I more. I can't,
1: I'm just that feminine. Callum,
0: you're just going to have to do it in the, the editing afterwards. <laughs> 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 voice over. Yeah.
1: Spe- speed me up, it'll be even more like Alvin <laughs> and the Chipmunks. Just. <laughs> the- <laughs> i
0: will we'll just go for the extreme end. Yeah. Of <laughs> How's your week been? Anything stuck out to you over the past week?
2: Well, I had, a, I had a little jaff that made me laugh. A I little saw jaff. jaff that made you a laugh? Jaff, <laughs> that's <laughs> going to be your cash phrase. It's a jaff that made me laugh. It wasn't even a jaffa cake.
0: But they don't make day. me <laughs> laugh. <laughs>
2: no, they just make me... Salivate. They, just like, they make me fat is the problem. But. So, yes. So, Steve Smith, Australian cricket captain. And we had said we weren't going to start speaking about sport, you know, to try and brush off the cobwebs of the previous project but here we are anyway so it was a QA and a on um, Crick Info, one of these like fans asking questions so a fan asked what are your hobbies and this kind of shows uh, that Stephen's clearly a bit naive to what things actually mean so he put The guitar, which Andrew and I have both seen, is chronically played. Well, the guitar was maybe okay. It was the singing that accompanied it. Uh, Drone flying, but I thought, oh, that's a bit random. Right. Running, I thought, okay, well, you're a sportsman. Uh, And then Netflix and chill.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, one of my hobbies as well. (laughs) Um,
2: There was one Twitter poster. Been five years since this phrase was coined, and Steve Smith still does not know what Netflix
0: and chill means. <laughs> Netflix and chill means no Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: he maybe does mean Netflix and chill, you never well, know. Well, he,
0: he is an international uh, sports star. Uh, like
1: it wouldn't surprise maybe. me if he knows exactly what he's talking Even about. with
2: his duck face, he probably would still manage it quite easily. Oh, but for sure. I did think, oh dear. You expect that from, like, your 80 year old grandparent, You're like, oh, I mean, your grandma was doing some Netflix and shit. Oh, God's sake! <laughs> oh, Actually, well. Paul, that sounds like something your grandma would come up with. She seems to come up with some absolute belters at times.
1: And she would mean Netflix <laughs> <and shit. laughs> Okay, great way to start the show. <laughs>
0: Oh, speaking of Netflix, I started watching The Queen's Gambit this weekend. Any you, have you watched it? No, I've what? not watched it yet. But um, Harvey was getting into
2: that's my son for the listeners. He was getting into chess and drafts and stuff on on his tablet, and I was like, oh, well, maybe we get him a chess set for for Christmas. And apparently, because of the show, the availability and price of chess sets has now well, the availability has gone low, and the price yeah, has gone up. Well. well
1: is this, funnily, is this based not. on a true story? This I'm, sure,
0: I, I'm not sure. I've only watched the first episode, but I'm hooked. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I immediately got my chess set out and started to teach the kids how to play chess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, no. So.
1: what's the premise? That I mean, I know it's chess related, but what's the? It's what's a the fe- hook? female it's, chess player, isn't
0: it? It is a female chess player. It starts. You see her as an adult, sort of. Uh, rushing in to play a game of chess, starts the game of chess, and then it just goes back to her childhood. And one of the first things that happened is she's in a car with her mum. Car crashes, her mum dies, and
1: she is taken to an orphanage, and the story goes from there. That's the most dramatic game of chess I think I've ever heard played. (laughs) I know, she um... killed
2: her mum over a game of chess.
0: That's pretty brutal. (laughs) So she discovers chess in the orphanage, and uh, I don't know where it's going to go from there. There
1: is nothing that Netflix cannot make. (laughs) <laughs> like, oh absolutely if, if you had said like five years ago the biggest streaming platform in the world is going to bring out a chess show and it'll be huge you'd be like yeah alright whatever but oh,
0: for falling <laughs> on the heels of a a weird guy from America who loves tigers <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I think they can just lip make anything now it's like yeah Netflix have made it so if we put enough adverts out there everyone will watch it, it. yeah
0: <laughs> build it and they will come <laughs>
1: You but, never get to see how successful these things are. Like, I mind all the hype for that bird box, for example, and like, I've got no idea if that. Oh, The Blindfoot, that was yeah, the one with uh, Sandra like, Boyd I mean, that, uh, yeah. It was bizarre. It was. I watched
0: it, it was bizarre. Uh, but it's. I think these kind of Netflix shows, they, they kind of make themselves, because everyone's talking about them, so you go, Oh, I'm going to watch it, and then you watch it and go, that's, that's awful. It's, it's the whole fear of missing out, isn't it? Because yeah. it's just
1: everywhere. You're like, oh, I've got to see what it's all about. There was the...
2: I watched one called The Santa Clara Diet, which was just bizarre. It had uh, Drew Barrymore in it, and the main guy on the show was a pretty reasonable-sized actor as well. Um, and it was basically they were eat they were like eating their neighbours and all that kind of stuff. And it was just like, to be honest, the show was awful, and I think it has finally been cut. But I'm sure it got like three or four seasons and you're just like, how did, this show is awful. Like how has it, but it's just because it was on Netflix yeah. and it was one of the promoted original shows, it just seemed to do quite <laughs> well. So, yeah. but I don't think we're here to talk about Netflix. No. Oh, chill, because Paul, oh, I know you're giving me the look, but <laughs> it's and, been a, well it's been a while, <laughs> but it's not happening,
0: mate.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sad noises. <laughs> anyway,
0: down to earth and uh, Paul, you wanted to kick us off by talking about Rishi Sunak's spending review. Mm, We're going to broach
1: affairs indeed. Yeah.
0: serious subjects on this podcast. Serious Big subjects.
1: There's all sorts <laughs> of places we can jump into this. So earlier today, Sunak gave his update on government spending review. He touched on Growth, borrowing, public sector pay, uh, all of these kind of things.
2: I'm not sure there was much growth well, conversation about Well,
1: so, yeah, the highlight there was it's going to take until the end of 2022 for the economy to return to the size it was before the pandemic. And uh, we're on track for the biggest contraction in 300 years, apparently. Since the Great
2: so. Frost of 1709,
1: <laughs> to be precise. <laughs> that's that's not even a lie. Like, that's, that's true. That's... The Great wow. Frost of 1709. Yep. I'd never even heard of the Great Frost <laughs> of 1709. Supposedly there was one. But yeah, there's been a few highlights here. So, one of the things that's kind of generated a bit of debate is public sector pay. So pay rises for the public sector will be paused next year with the exception of a million nurses and doctors who will continue to get pay. And the justification here is that... Continue
0: to get pay? Pay
1: rises. Well, pay <laughs> rises, sorry. Yeah, I, I'd hope they continue to get pay. Yeah. So... We'll so past the Tories. <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. Oh, here it oh, is. It's all kicking off already. Hey. Yeah. And that was a good eight-minute
2: podcast. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. <laughs>
1: so yes how's rishi brand rishi uh how's he justifying this so he said that he can't justify a significant across the board pay increase for the public sector while the private sector especially like hospitality retail all of these kind of workers are being battered by the impacts of covid and so much is going to have to be spent on furlough schemes and other job support schemes and things like that that you know we, we all have to bear the brunt of this together um
2: to I be, think there was a degree of protection, I'm sure he mentioned about anyone in the public sector below the median wage would also get, Is it 250, it would be like 250 there was, pounds. Or, there's it, an it, extra, wasn't, it wasn't a huge amount, but they would get some yeah, degree of increase and well. An
1: extra 2.1 million public sector workers who are below the median wage, as you said, of 24k get 250 pounds, so as yeah. you say it's not much, but, well, you know, but something. Uh, and he has also said that the national living wage will be increased to £8.91 an hour, which is something like a 2.2% increase. So, after yeah, so about inflation, to be honest. Yeah,
2: so I mean, his argument, I, I can totally get what his argument is. You cannot have, for me, the public sector that. I understand that there's been lots of key workers, but there's also been people who are effectively key or have been key workers in the private sector as well. So it can't... The doctors and nurses and the job the NHS have done, I kind of get wanting to protect them as a thank you, but there's people across both sides of the sectors that have kept the nation going throughout this pandemic and have performed key roles. So I think some of the... Arguments that, well, you know, the, the public sector's provided the key workers is, it's not fair on those who actually have been key workers and not public sector people. So
0: anyone in a supermarket. Well, yeah.
2: And, yeah. All the, and yeah, and all <laughs> yeah. these kind of uh, Delivery people. drivers yeah, for I mean, supermarkets, all, all of that um, kind of stuff. Yeah, and like, well, an example, for example, was teachers, because they kept people going. But like so my wife's a childminder and she was being a key worker and she's in the private, you know, she was looking after people's children to the same extent just in a different setting but so it's not to say that all the key workers are from the public sector is not true for a start but I think the public sector I kind of do feel a little bit like to have their cake and eat it kind of at times and lots of people across the country are losing their jobs whereas the public sector people they might not get a pay increase but they still have a job and a lot of people in the private sector what is it they reckon that there'll be 24 or two point six million jobs that have gone by the end of this by the time this all fall it's gone so and very few of them I would imagine will fall within the public sector. I think you will find the vast majority mm-hmm. of them are from the private sector. Yep. And it's better to have the same as what you had before than to have nothing, as some people will be left
1: with. It's uh it's not gonna be popular. Even the fact that he's Kind of given the the pay increases to the nhs i just think politically it would have been impossible not to give them the pay increase just after the year we've had but there's no winners coming out the back end of this pandemic and you know i think if he hadn't done something with public sector pay you just think well okay well where else is he going to pinch the pennies then because something is going to have to give going forward so Yeah, I get it, I get it's crap, but I'm not actually that opposed to it, quite frankly. I'm not sure it's as much of a a hoo-ha as people are making it out to be. But, I don't know, Andrew, I think you sit a little bit more left of myself and Callum generally. So, both in the room and politically. (laughs) So, I don't know, what's what's your
0: views? See, I want to make a discussion here, but I can't because... yeah i'm not i think we have a discussion quite often between the three of us about our political views uh, and i think this will be sort of a theme through the podcast is that although yeah maybe i do sit a little left on some things and callum probably sits the furthest right both in the room and politically yeah we've,
1: <laughs> we've lined this up nicely um,
0: but it's I a that no one can actually see but yeah. we'll do it anyway yeah yeah um we need to get on youtube get a That's camera fair. set up
1: <laughs> live streaming on twitch <laughs> <laughs> people
0: would think paul's even more feminine than they already do if we had that especially when he turn, we, we turn up and he's in his like granddad slippers and things or <laughs> he's got his nipples well, out like one of the previous podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. yeah so the point i was getting to is that actually i think politically the three of us are sit within a fairly narrow band um and so on that note i mean we'll contribute to the echo chamber of modern life um if you like our views then you'll listen to us if you don't you won't oh that's it so you're
2: so probably you'll find as the show goes on you will probably either stop listening or you have similar views so we'll agree with everything we say as well so so are you saying you agree that i do I,
0: i think i agree with the measures overall um i don't really agree with the furlough scheme in its current guise i think it's too generous I think it's supporting loads of jobs that don't actually exist and it's something that we'll be paying for for generations to come.
2: Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. And uh, there was a guy I heard speaking after it about um, from the... The name escapes me. FIS, um, Financial Institute... Something, whatever. Um, And he was talking about how when the recession happened before... We saw businesses that were perfectly plausible went under, and we're going to end up seeing that again. And I actually don't agree with that wholeheartedly. I'm not saying there are going to be no businesses that would have been perfectly fine if it had not been for COVID, but I think in reality, you're going to find the casualties are these businesses that were teetering on the edge anyway, and that's why they've fallen under because the government is providing them with support. It's not they can't just keep them going indefinitely. But if you were kind of a business that had some cash behind you, the support that yeah. they're providing should be able to limp these businesses through, at least to come out of the other end. So, so I yeah. think
1: it's not just that. I think there were probably some businesses that were legitimate, well-run businesses and were it not for COVID, they would have continued on absolutely fine. But COVID has totally changed the game mm-hmm. and uh, consumer behaviour will just be different post-pandemic and therefore they're no longer viable. And I think it's those ones where you've just got to look at it and say, well, you can't just force consumers to start going back to doing everything that they did in 2019 once we get out the back end of this. So yeah, yeah,
0: I think that for me, there seems there's a split in that in that I do think there'll be a lot of hospitality businesses that will have failed that would have been viable and will be viable again. Once yep. things have recovered and leisure as well, yeah, mm. and that sector has been hit massively, and yeah, it is the case that this has had a massive impact. I think when it comes to high street retail and things like that, what the pandemic has done is accelerated a trend yep. that yep. was already well in force. So we could, we could we often a headline is the empty shop fronts on any high street across the country. um It's a trend that we've been seeing for years. And it's just sort of fallen off a cliff rather than seeing a gradual decline over the next decade.
2: Yeah, no, I would would agree with that. And I think, yeah. So what's the point paying these people's wages when they would probably be out of a job? You know, they could be out of a job in a year or two's time. If you you look at the amount of shops that close down with regularity, Mm. it's not like this wasn't going to happen anyway. So I agree with you, we're paying for jobs that just wouldn't be there. Eventually, it might have just speeded it up. So, I don't see why we're bankrupting ourselves to do that. I know
1: a load of these shops in, in you know Perth Town Centre and everything have been back open since the first lockdown had stopped. I mean, have either of you guys been into town to shop at any point, really, in the last six it, months or so? Coronavirus nothing,
2: has nothing to do with that. The, like, well, I think... And I don't think our town centre or city centre is alone in that. Um, possibly... <laughs> per city status, being (coughs) justified or not could be an entirely separate subject, but um, there's just nothing to appeal to take me into town anymore. Like, you know, there's... Or, say, anymore, there's... I don't know if there ever was. When I was a teenager, I maybe used to go in because it was somewhere to escape from living in a small village when I became a teenager, but aside from that, there's never actually been a draw.
1: I mean... I go in there regularly, almost every weekend, to go for, like, a coffee or a lunch or something like that, like, with my gran or with my brother or something like that, but in terms of actually going and shopping, I couldn't tell you the last time that I was in the town centre to shop for anything, It's it's all just ordered online, all of it, and I, I now can't see my behaviour in that regard changing back again, to be honest, so... What about you, yeah, Andrew? I
0: know. I'm generally the same. I go into town when I need a haircut or I need something to, something oh, haircut to yeah. go out for something to eat. I, I suppose the only exception is with having kids. The kids get a lot of clothes from Primark, and they, they don't have an online presence, so mm. um, that's maybe the only shop that you go into town specifically for.
2: I would waste my money buying clothes off Primark or from Primark, so um, because they just fall apart after three washes so just, yeah
0: I don't find that's the case well clearly I wash my clothes too high temperature <laughs> 40 uh, degrees that's all you need <laughs> that's all I do
2: don't know what I'm doing wrong then but um, yeah I mean kids can be a bit different obviously you might want to try clothes on or shoes and stuff like that whereas it becomes a bit more of a hassle but you know once you're a fully grown adult and you've got kind of you know you know what your shoe size is you don't have to worry about whether it's yeah. fit or not yeah online shopping is perfectly fine so the, the high street is dead I don't think that was our point. I think our point was about the spending
1: review. Well, it was, yeah. And, I mean, I'm just looking back at some of the other headlines. So, one of the other bits that was contentious, but I know you've got views on this, column. so...
0: Yeah, I've got views on most things, as the I know, listeners will find out. Is,
1: uh, ...is overseas aid. So, overseas aid will be cut to 0.5% of GDP, which it was previously 0.7%, which is pretty high, historically. Um... And, yeah, Callum, I know before we started recording, you started to give some views on this, and we said, no, save it, save it for yeah, the yeah. recording.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I just think it's one of these things that... You, there's the... Andrew spoke about it, I heard it coined on the, the news earlier as well, As you know, there's that view of charity starts at home. Yeah. And there's been uproar from across the house about this happening um, and i just i don't really see why there is the level of uproar that there is prior to david cameron bringing it in under blair and brown and i believe pre that time as well it wasn't like they dropped it it was 0.38 percent i think which is about the average for most developed countries is kind of where it sits and Cameron brought it in that it was 0.7% is what we would spend on it. Um, and now they're dropping it to 05 which in amongst the G7 economies, it still means we're the second biggest giver of foreign aid in, within those economies. Uh, well, you know, obviously proportionately. Um, yeah. And we're still quite far ahead of what some of the other similar-sized countries are doing. So I don't... There are a lot of people that have come out and said, well, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of deaths going to be on Britain's hands by doing this. And it's like, well, I think that's a bit of an unfair line to take, that it's all Britain's fault. Because we gave, you know, because we've been being generous, if we're being slightly less generous, we're all of a sudden murderers for doing so because we're trying to sort of have a bit of self-interest. And I kind of find that, ridiculous and over the top but is completely typical of modern media and I think I said before when he's told me to stop talking was that, um, as you'll probably do quite soon anyway, um, (laughs) was that they did a snap opinion poll of this and it's actually far more in favour from the public that are in support of this, but the way that the media outlets are reporting on it and the way that some of the people in the chamber have been about it, you would not have thought there would be strong
0: public opinion for this but in reality, there seems to be. What's so your view? I think uh, when you're going through an event like we are with the pandemic and public spending has had to increase dramatically to keep your own economy, not even afloat, but just keep a faint pulse on it, which mm. is what is happening at the moment, um, then, yeah, I think foreign aid does have to be cut.
1: Yeah.
0: It is the, the, the priority has to be on your own economy and ultimately if you're going to continue spending on things that don't support your own own economy then you're going to be contributing 0.7% of not very much rather than 0.5% of something that can be potentially bigger.
1: Yeah I was on a call with a bunch of the guys in my team um, after the the announcements earlier on this was one of the things we were talking about and I mean team of eight but the consensus on that call was, yeah, he could have gone further, to be honest. I think it's it's such a fair-weather policy. I, I've got nothing against foreign aid normally, but I think you've hit the nail on the head, Andrew. Like, in times like this, I would far rather see foreign aid spending getting slashed than frontline NHS funding or funding for schools or, you know, wh- whatever the other things are. So, yeah, I, I think the, what you were saying there about the opinion poll, was interesting in that I, I do get the impression that the media are painting it out that this is absolutely abhorrent, and I'm not convinced the public have got that same
0: view. I mean, it wouldn't be like the UK media to totally misrepresent what the public opinion is, would it? Especially
2: mm-hmm. in 2020,
1: you know, I wouldn't like them at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, even when you said earlier on about the furlough scheme, you know, I, I would be really curious to see what public opinion on the furlough scheme is. I think it was unanimously praised amongst the public back in, like, April kind of time. But I, yep. I don't know what people's views would be now. I still think it's very, very well supported.
0: Yeah, but... I it, it made absolute sense back in April when we thought that this could be something quite short term and that we would all return to normal by spring. Then it made sense to introduce that um, introduce that policy. I think ex- extending it through to next March, I just think is a ludicrous decision. I really do.
2: Well, I was surprised when the first extension happened. To like it was wholesale. I could I was very shocked when that happened. I had presumed I think it was the end of June sort of time from memory. The first block. Yeah, of I it. think so. And then it um, came out to. October and, and, and I had assumed what would probably happen at that stage. Is what they would do is they would target where they support it. So lights of hospitality and an industry like that on that what yeah. were, we're gonna be, sh- they were gonna be worse hit by this. Go right, well, it's unfortunate they've got no choice, they just can't operate, and we can't have public safety and they operate. It just doesn't work. Yeah. So support them. But I mean, there are must, I don't know anything, but there must be hundreds of thousands, if not more, people that are currently furloughed. That you're like, well. Why can't you do your job? Like, I, I, there's no... Covid shouldn't actually stop them doing their jobs. It's just as you said earlier, it, it, just, we're paying for jobs that aren't but, really there. But do
1: you think, though, that if the public were polled tomorrow, I still think the public would be in massive favour of the furlough scheme? I'm not sure they would actually think about it in the level of depth of how are we going to pay for this going forward and we're keeping people in jobs that aren't going to, you know, I, I, don't I think
2: know. they would support it. I, I, I would imagine, if I was to speculate, I'd imagine it would be still viewed more positively, but I have heard, I know a lot of people who have spoken about, well, what is the cost long-term of this going to yeah. be?
1: The poll I'd be really, really curious to see is the poll of whether people think we should be continuing to lock down or just open up and let it run rampant, mm. because the national media would have it portrayed that 90% of people are saying, oh no, you've got to protect everyone, you've got to keep the lockdowns in place, moving to tiered restrictions is a good, you know, all of that kind of thing. I, I think that poll would be probably 50 50 ish, I think, you know, for should we just open up or. Yeah.
2: Again, I know a lot more people who seem to be in support of herd immunity, perhaps our age. I was going to say, how much for, of that's you age know, demographics, as, yeah. It, it, you know, we're sort of in that probably least vulnerable category so it's probably easy for us to sit and say but I even know people who are you know getting in towards the realms of being in vulnerable categories and are in support of it Um, but yeah it just seems to be a small issue to me it seems like two non-issues have been blown up um, into things that aren't there I mean, Labour seem to have a far more credible complaint about, or point, about that they had wanted 30 billion of capital spending that I I believe is planned anyway to be brought forward to try and stimulate the green economy. Because Mm -hmm. I think there was a view that if we stimulate that more quickly, it can bring jobs. Because the point is is that people are going, right, well, you can have these recovery programmes, but if there's no jobs to give people... You know, you could go, oh, well, we'll have all this money to retrain people, but if there's not a job to retrain them into, well, doesn't no matter what money you have to retrain. And to me, things like that were far more of a, seemed far more sensible things to complain about. And it just seems to be, once again, that it's nitpicking at points that you're like, who cares? Yeah. This really does not make a difference.
1: One of the few points that they made that I was kind of conflicted on was the shadow uh, Treasury Secretary was saying that the government didn't put a circuit breaker in place in England over the school holidays where you know Scotland did done stuff and, and Wales did the same and that a lot of the spending which is now required to save jobs wouldn't have been as severe had they done the circuit breaker approach rather than Humden had and then done this lockdown through November. So... I've seen mixed reporting on this. I've seen Chris Whitty coming out at different points and saying it doesn't actually matter when you lock down and how long for. Like, if you do a three-week period in October or November or December, it doesn't matter. Once you unlock again, it will just take off. Yeah. And all you're doing is kicking down the road when you're going to have that lockdown. So I'm not actually convinced that we are going to end up spending any more because the government dallied about. I mean, from what I've
2: heard of all the experts that you see popping up on the, the news and articles and stuff like that, I mean, we seem like a vaccine is maybe on the horizon, although I don't think it's quite the vaccine that people, it's not really the all singing, dancing one that people necessarily think it's going to be, but it's a vaccine of sorts. That seems like but it might mean, be... Well, yeah, what, what do you mean by, by that? that? Well, because I think people think that you'll get this needle stabbed into your arm, you'll get a vaccine and that'll be all sorted. And actually, the suggestions are that that's possibly not may well not be the case. These may well be vaccines that boosters and things are required for. Yes, be, yeah, yeah, but
0: it it is fair to say that once the vaccine has been rolled out, then the pandemic will be over. Yes, this will, yes, this will
1: be like a flu jab. Yes, basically.
0: We, we suspect so. So it'll be something that you probably have to have every year or every couple of years. Yeah, but. point is i think there is
2: certain areas out there that just think you'll get it once stab in your arm and that'll be it well Uh, there'll be no coronavirus kicking about the reality of it is is, and this is i suppose a point on the foreign aid is coming up where foreign aid would be supported and i do believe that independent of the foreign aid budget we also put money into i'm trying to remember the name it's basically a pot of money to give Covid vaccinations to the developing world. Yeah, mm-hmm. it. um, It's coves. It might be Covax or something like I'm that. Whatever it, it it's is, something yeah. like yeah, that.
0: No, I know what you're talking about.
2: Um, okay, and okay. and this seems to be the other point about very kind of going a lot about the spend review, which I thought sunat was quite. I don't know whether he was trying to pull the wool over the eyes, but a lot of things that happen is the for is foreign comparisons that the shadow chancellor was trying to make of you know France mm. are doing that and Germany doing mm-hmm. that and he's like. Yeah, but they report that in a different, you know, they report within that pot of money, they're including things that we don't include within that pot. We already have separate spending for it. And I think that can be a bit of a dangerous picture, and it could, like, well, be with the foreign aid thing. People are going on, well, how do these other countries get vaccines if they can't afford them? So, Well, hang on a minute, there's a separate pot of money dealing with that. issue. Yeah. This foreign aid is more humani- general humanitarian work.
1: Yeah. Going off on a total tangent, what's you guys' views on Rishi, generally? What, what do you make of him, Andrew? What's your thoughts?
0: Right, I'm going to avoid uh, saying that he's a Tory, so I don't like him. Um, and I'll go- <laughs> Except you've just said he's a Tory. Yeah. So- oh, that's like- I'm, okay. I'm going to yeah, avoid it. I'm Continuous going, to, I'm going to, it. to avoid using that as my base argument. Um, I think he... Appears to be the closest thing to a competent politician at the top of the the Tory party as there's been
1: recently. God, that's that's uh, not exactly high praise. <laughs> I mean, given your views of the Tories, but but no, do you not think that he, as a politician,
0: seems to be the most impressive?
1: Oh of yeah, those? but I don't know why you have to quantify it. With Tory, to be honest, well, I mean when I that's, when I well, no, that's the, fair. That's fair. When I heard the spending review earlier on, I thought to myself, you know what? Even if you don't agree with what he's saying, he's actually a really, really competent orator, and um, you know he's prime ministerial. I think in his delivery of a lot of stuff, whether you agree with his policies or not, but all of that aside, you can well see him in a prime ministerial role. And then you see the shadow treasury secretary and the SNP women had come up, and the, you know various others, and I thought. You know, you you sound absolutely unhinged in comparison and, you know, you're nitpicking, as you, to use your phrase, Callum, at tiny little points. Um, it'll be really interesting to see when he tries to duck out of the Chancellor role because if I were him, I'd want to ride all of this goodwill through to the end of the pandemic and then hand it off to someone else who has to start doing the tax rises and the austerity cuts. And, you know, if he went off to be health secretary or something like that you know that that would be a good move for him I think
2: I would suggest that the spending review signals the fact that within the next couple of years Rishi Sunak will be the Prime Minister of the country because I think given that things like the foreign aid drop that were in in the manifesto for the Conservative Party that they would hold that and Rishi Sunak has had the sway to go no Boris we're doing this now and as it should be in this current situation, effectively the Chancellor is now running how things are operating in, the, mm. in Parliament. And I think this is. He will be mindful of what he is doing because I, I do actually think he is quite a genuine guy, is the impression I get of him. You know, um, Osborne, George Osborne, like mm-hmm. he, he seemed like, fiscally seemed like he knew what he was doing. But he also just seemed like he would probably drown children in a bath for camera as well. Whereas Sunak actually seems like a genuine enough guy. And as you say, people will people will disagree with, you know, each side's how yeah, they handle yeah, yeah. it, and that's fine, and that's just politics. But he actually comes across as a genuine, kind of caring type of person. And I think now what we are probably seeing is this is Rishi's let's keep a smooth road ahead for because we are talking about two fairly shouldn't be contentious issues that are what the contention is out of this yeah it's fairly safe and And there's no he said taxes no we're not doing that do not you worry about that people
1: yeah i believe and andrew might be able to verify this because i see he's googling something but i believe he's favorite to be prime minister when it comes to the next general election it's like it's him and then Starmer is quite close. And then you've got like Boris and everyone like that as well. I wasn't well, looking below. at that,
0: but I'll go have a look at that. Well, I yeah.
2: mean, I I'd I think we've said it, discussions off air and I've said it to various people, I get, Boris came in to do Brexit and that's all Boris came in to do. Get and it I, done. I, I actually think Boris will be the Prime Minister for longer because of Covid than he would have been if Covid had not happened. Because I could have genuinely seen Boris Johnson at the end of the year, whether we left whether we leave with a deal or no deal, that Boris would go, I've done my job. Thanks very much. I'm the guy that brought Brexit about, I'm off. Um, yeah. Whereas well, There's I all think the rumour now... he's
1: not a fan of it. Like he he liked the idea of being Prime Minister and the idea of having been Prime Minister, but not of actually the period in the middle where he has to be the Prime Minister
2: Boris did not think that he was going to have to deal with the pandemic no. and Boris is not the kind of person you want in, you know in the end of the day it's much like Trump whether you again whether you agree with Trump's policies or not the reality of it is there was people in America who were benefiting from Trump's economic policies the problem really for Trump was that Covid happened and all of a sudden they went Christ we've got a buffoon running in our country who even during a pandemic is a buffoon and our one might not be quite as bad, but you're like, Christ, you just waffle on about stuff. Yeah, and yeah. Because that's just how he talks. I, I, yeah, I don't think he's a dumb... I, I think he's not a dumb human being, but he just waffles on. No, yeah, it's just that
1: that's his communication style. Yeah, he's not a strong communicator. Not in the in the Rishi no. style, anyway.
0: Sunak is the favourite to be the next Prime Minister. I can't see betting odds for at the next general election, who will be Prime Minister. Because, obviously, next Prime right. Minister, Johnson isn't quoted because he's the current Prime Minister. Yeah, of course. Right,
1: that makes sense, then. That makes sense. I think, um in the same way as you said, that Boris might well have hung around longer because of Covid. I know, for example, like Merkel, she was already supposed to have stepped down as German Chancellor, but then this is not the time for you it's to like be... It's like a war. Yeah. It's
2: like a wartime leader you can't step down during war you know and in reality this is what this is the closest thing we'll get to like the world wars i believe like because let's be honest if the world war happened again someone would press the button and we'd all be dead so because it'd be a nuclear off yeah. so
1: you know what we're already in the middle of world war when it comes to things like all of the trade wars that have yeah, been going yeah. that is the equivalent but of what world the world war wars now.
2: just look different in modern times but yeah. this is the closest thing i think we've got to most war is going on in espionage and things like that. It, yeah, it doesn't yeah. affect
0: most of us half the time. So, it, Or it does, but we'll never know about well, it. Well, we don't yes. know about it. It's yeah. probably the right.
2: Unless somebody takes a grid down or something, we'll not know about it. So, yeah, uh, yeah I think Boris would have been gone. But So yeah. I think we're sort of saying, on the two contentious issues of, you know, that, oh, well, it's not right that the public... En masse, the public sector aren't getting a pay rise. We're saying, well... That's just kind of, the private sector aren't either, so it kind of is what it is. Yeah, Um, everyone's in it Everyone's going to feel some pain (laughs) on this. Um, And then on the foreign aid, we're saying, well, yeah, we're kind of being a bit selfish, but actually in reality, we're still one of the more generous nations in the world anyway, so maybe we should give ourselves still a bit of a pat on the back for that. So, and then we kind of went on a bit of Waffle, a bit Boris and all these kind of things. And
1: we did a Boris. did a Boris. We did a Boris, b- b- we we, yeah. We, blah,
0: blah, we, blah, blah, we blah, ain't blah. no Rishi Sunaks, so are we?
1: <laughs> 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 oh, I've got, I love when he trots out the odd word, which is just, like, Latin or some stuff like that. Just typical Bojo. But anyway.
2: But the good news is... We're all going to be able to form bubbles at Christmas time and see our family.
1: Bubbles.
2: Bubbles. Christmas bubbles. Christmas bubbles. Big bubbles.
1: Banter. Stole that one straight from wee Nicky <laughs> from up well, well, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> <See you later. laughs> yeah. Well. No. Yeah. Three households. Probably roughly what I expected. To be honest, I, I thought they... it
0: might have stretched to four. I, I to don't say. know. I. I. But... Three. I
2: understand for you on the basis that, well, I suppose I can get four on the basis that most families. Could you get well, five? no, 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 because I was going to say on the basis that most families are sort of like a parent and two children is still kind of the average. But, yeah, but not two point four is yeah, the is. average number uh, of
0: children. Two point four that you and have. a dog. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so therefore <laughs> that that point four, you're just saying you're not allowed back. No, the dwarf still lives at home anyway, so it doesn't really
2: <laughs> matter. <laughs> Anyway. I'm not, and I don't think we are not 2.4 anymore. Anyway, um, you know, fertility, all the fertility rate yeah, and all that's dropped. dropped. Um, but then I suppose the problem you have with that is where well, you've got both sides, both parent sets from the couple. So I suppose that yeah. falls yeah. down on yeah. that. So yeah,
1: I don't know. So what? What's what? Are you guys thinking then? Does that they, d- does three give you guys enough flex for? What you were planning on doing this or wanted to do this Christmas, or
0: we clearly followed the rules, yeah. Um, uh, does it? Uh, it depends how you want to justify what a household is in your own head.
1: Well, yeah, so the household that you grew up in, <laughs> so, so there, there is still an exemption for single people who live alone can form an extended household. So, like, if I form an extended household with my brother. We just count as one household for the purposes of these regulations. My stepsister is the same, she's a single person living alone, so she can just say, Right, well, one of my sisters extended yeah. the household with so, them. So then, my family, okay,
0: my my sister and her boyfriend live with my mum and dad, so they are part all right, of one so household. That's all fine. My brother is a single guy living on his own, so he can form part of that household. My grandparents always come, so there's your second household, and then there's me, my wife, and our kids. So, three households. Yeah. So then you're not seeing any of your wife's family? Pretty much. But we never see them on Christmas Day anyway.
2: Ah, but it's
0: only it's the same three throughout the whole period. Yeah, and I know, but I'll just be ignoring that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but re- Andrew's loving the, it. Right, right. The reality of it is, is the
2: reason that it's three and it isn't four or five or these kind of things is because they know people will not
0: stick to it hard and fast. Yes. So the issue I have is that on my wife's side, we'll probably see her sisters and their families. Uh, both of my wife's sisters uh, are sort of childcare providers for us, so our households are mixing regularly anyway. Already, yeah. Yep. And informal childcare is still allowed. Exactly, So, yeah.
2: It's, um,
0: yeah, and that's...
2: Well, we're very much the same with our parents. They provide informal childcare at periods, so we're seeing these people anyway. So it's kind of like, well, yeah, I think we'll be sensible we're not going to cut ourselves off around the country, but...
1: The thought that occurred to me earlier on was because the schools are still going to be open all the way till, what, like the 21st, 22nd? You guys will know better than me. but or 22nd or twenty second? 22nd. second, I would just if there's an outbreak or is it a really early finish this? no it's a really late finish I think it's the 23rd, yeah. oh, it's, 23rd. it's the
0: Wednesday the 23rd uh, yeah, that's yeah. what it is
1: so yeah. anyway point being if there's an outbreak at one of your kids' schools you know like the 18th or something like that and then you find out early the week of the 20th that they've got it well yeah that, all of the plans are out the window because then everyone's quarantining for 14 days over the yeah we'll just Christmas quarantine period.
0: as an extended household of 40 folk <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, move in. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. But... It, I think, as a general point, I am not sure that these restrict, easing of these restrictions should have been allowed.
1: Well, no, that's I think interesting.
0: It undermines everything that has happened over the last sort of eight or nine months. What but... you're basically saying, so. There has been a the valid point of why do why are you doing this for Christmas when you didn't do it for what was was it Eid, and Diwali, Diwali and Eid. yeah, but and because all we're a
1: majority Christian country or not Christian, but you know more people. Yeah, but Oh, Callum's it's, looking like he's no, Christmas.
0: <laughs> Christmas in this day and age isn't a Christian holiday. I know it's, it's not. It's, a, it's commercial, a national holiday. It's a, it's a, a commercial, holiday. Holiday. but it's a national
2: and. Nationally, even people of other religions have, as Paul, yeah. However, you want to, we are a Christian country. Whether you say we're actually practicing, we're not in reality a practicing Christian country, but in terms of our traditions, yeah. We are a tradition. There was a a priest from Glasgow. I'd heard on the news a couple of weeks ago, and he made quite a good point about this. He's like, even during the world wars, for Christmas Day. We managed to put all the guns down and stop fighting the war, it's despite the fact that despite yeah. the fact that we were trying to eradicate fascism from taking over our country. Which, let's be honest, if fascism had taken over our country, more people would have probably been at risk than coronavirus is in reality going you know, to wipe out. You know, people need a bit of hope, and that is what Christmas is. It is that kind of beacon of hope to everybody to go right. Well, you can. Can relax a bit at christmas and then we're gonna have to go back
0: to it afterwards
1: there's yeah there's probably but going to be a lockdown in january i think i so. would i would take a lockdown in january I mean, for the schools those five. Still be days. Open,
0: so it'll be pointless.
1: yeah well well but then there's st- <sighs> I, you know <laughs> I, you know the other problem that they've got is they know that if they didn't give some degree of flex then people would just throw it out the window anyway. And then at that point, the public are just like, no, I'm done with this. And so as soon as you've lost the public, then it's all over. Most
2: policy is about public obedience. It is. It's is is framing it. And that is exactly right. If they went, you're not seeing anybody, everyone will go, it's Christmas, I'm going and seeing my motto. So tough luck.
1: Yeah, it's unofficiable and you know, because they would have put all these laws in place. And how do you then get the police to actually police it? Well, it'd be like some of the, the rules boom.
2: that Nicholas Sargent in the early days had tried to say. Well, you know, the police will be stopping you. And the police turned around and went, "No, we're I mean it because that is completely unenforceable and completely unmanageable. It'll no happen. And that would what are they going to do? Have all these police driving around all day on Christmas Day? Like, Enough. oh, we'll get the army out to keep people in the
1: house. Now, where I agree with you, though, Andrew, I do agree it undermines the message that, oh, you've got to stay away from each other, stay away from it, you know, social distance, don't mix in homes and blah, blah, but It's fine over this five-day period. But I think that's because we're just being ridiculous with these restrictions up until now anyway, but that's because I'm more in the herd immunity camp. So I, I just, I wouldn't have been this tough in the last few months, yeah, anyway. I
0: think there's a wider point as well. I think that the... Well, in both countries, schools have remained open. So I think it's a point for another um, another podcast, I think. But I think the teaching profession has been gaslighted by the government over the last three or four months. Oh, yeah! Yeah! and that's something that we can look forward to discuss
1: in a later episode. let's hold that one back, because that could really... I'll not say my opinion on that. Jeez,
2: oh. Well, so we're all seated at Christmas. The rules are what they are. It sounds like we're all going to know them, as we have (laughs) carried on doing by recording this podcast anyway. So, hey-ho, it is what it is. Indeed.
1: Don't grass us up for listeners, please. (laughs) Or we'll grass you in awe. Because right, so, we've
2: probably seen you during this period as well, so there you go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and coughed on you.
2: <laughs> so um last... didn't want to know what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Desperation. Kinky. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so to bring the mood down uh, a little bit, I suppose, uh, and the last thing we're going to discuss today is um, the news that broke maybe three or four hours before we started recording this podcast of the passing of... Some people would say the greatest footballer that there's ever been. Nah, they'd be uh, wrong. They would be wrong, but Diego Maradona passed away today. Cheap.
1: Yeah. Is it too soon to say good riddance? Oh, wow. No, I'm, I'm joking. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, wow. that, uh, I'm joking. But well, What no, was your he's...
0: reaction? So, I th- obviously, we as three guys in our uh, late 20s before our time. My reaction was like, oh, good, about time. That's, oh,
2: not wow. about sorry that's <laughs> really, really, <laughs> wow no but f- more like finally like the guy has clearly been on death's door for like years now like he, it, it was just becoming the frequency of his hospital. hospital visits yeah. and there's this wrong way and there's that wrong way the guy was clearly going to die at some point soon like and not that i'm like oh yeah you deserve to die but like it was clearly coming i don't think it shocked anybody no not that at all was coming yeah. i have to be as a footballer um i don't know i mean he was clearly a good football player but i suppose yeah I, of our age i've seen him more of this like drunken fat buffoon so I, I don't really have any respect for the guy he was a good footballer but i have no zero respect for him and the hand of god makes the respect dwindle even further because that was just blatant cheating
0: yeah, but you're English, so I'm not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I've honestly, I've got no opinion on it. He's one of these sports people wh- who I just don't care about. I don't know why. Like, even though he's supposedly the greatest of all time, I don't agree with that. But yeah, I, I don't feel any emotion, one way or the other, about him, quite honestly. And I, I agree with what you're saying, Carol. It doesn't surprise me. He's one of these characters, a bit like. Like, uh, Gaza uh, or, you George know... Best. As George Best. Yeah. George Best. Apparently, George
0: Fif- Best, 15 years uh, ago to the day that George, George, that George Best passed away, yeah. Uh,
2: I mean, it's just like, it, it's one of the... yes yeah, when G- Gaza will probably pass away in the next few years as well from similar types of issues, and it will be like, well, it's not really a surprise to us. It's not saying it's a good thing, but unfortunately, these people are tackling their demons, and that is a shame, but well, yeah, it yeah, if, if anything,
1: I just feel sorry for... Them, you know, that you, you it's a squandering of talent and life and that kind of thing, but even then, I don't was really was it a mean,
0: squandering of talent in the case of Maradona? Probably in not the, in
1: his case, no, no.
0: I mean, he, he was the best player of that generation without a shadow of a doubt. I still think there is an argument to
2: say that his overall, I. It was when he went to Napoli and got involved with this sort of like mafia, mafioso and all that over there. That's when he started to get a bit. But he was always a bit stockier. But mm-hmm. like, that's when he actually started to get a bit chunky around the middle as well. Like, and I think that probably while he was still in his prime, he his close controlling things would have undoubtedly still been there. But you know, you watch the, the other goal from the England game, that amazing run, that, yeah. that Michael Owen almost like repeated yeah. against Argentina, like, it was very, very similar. He wasn't capable of doing that as he got larger through his career. So I do think it So probably, there was a bit of squandering, I think yeah, there was okay. a degree of, it may, and maybe some of the arguments against some of the modern players like Ronaldo and Messi would have more strength because he would have been at that peak for a higher amount of time.
1: Yeah. What I genuinely don't know with him and with others like Cruyff and players like that is I think the World Cup used to just hold this glamour and appeal. And, you know, if you could guide your country to the World Cup, then it was, oh, wow, you know, you're, you're incredible. But most, it's still the same thing that we say it's missing from Messi's CV. It's that international honour. I don't, I, I don't buy into that at all. I think someone like James Rodriguez in the 2014 World Cup lit the tournament up won the Golden Boot played some stunning football for Colombia guided them to like the semis or whatever it was got his big move to Real Madrid you know if he'd taken Colombia all the way to the final and won it I still wouldn't be looking at James Rodriguez going he's one of the best players there's ever been I think you can have a good tournament and be a very good player but but...
2: Cruyff and Maradona and stuff were exceptional footballers but were they? were they? through their career
1: were they? I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, no, how, how much have we, the British public, seen of them? We didn't see the football. I mean, we, we don't know how Napoli were. We've, I just you, you look at their goal-scoring records and you, you they are nowhere near Messi and Ronaldo. And Messi and Ronaldo have done it for 10 to 15 years each. And it's a different, I, yeah, I think a different it, style of football.
0: Mostly in part. a farmer's league. I know it's not the French one, but it's the same standard. I don't yeah. know. The defending think is
2: that, chronic in Spain yeah uh, that's why you see all these Spanish strikers then come over to England and can't kind of a it's not door. even
1: just that though it's the Champions League stuff that they've got as well and I know the Champions League does have some group stage oh, nonsense but you Maradona know, it,
2: won mm, the well the UEFA Cup I think it was class, European it? Cup. I, I think it was the UEFA Cup he won with Napoli I don't know right. why given that they won the Scudetto why yeah. he was in that but these, I don't think that these guys just had accolades because they took the nations far. Well, I mean, Cruyff didn't
1: See, win anything, with well, no, Cru- well, Cruyff carried uh, Holland to a European Championships and to a World Cup final, maybe two World Cup finals. But he also was the linchpin of the great Ajax teams that won multiple European yeah. Cups. So I would look at Cruyff and say his CV is stronger than Maradona's, frankly.
2: I, I just Yeah, I mean I don't know enough necessarily but the fact that the guy managed to he was the first player to or only player or whatever to get two world record breaking transfer fees paid for you know, he, he was the one that broke his own record kind of says that he was clearly valued at club football level as well.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying by any means he was a poor player. Obviously he wasn't. I just wonder if guiding Argentina to the World Cup gave him this I don't know it was like everyone just thought he was God quite frankly down down there I mean three days of national mourning that have been announced is that right
2: yeah Wow. I, but apparently if, it was Peter Reed was interviewed for Sky and he had said that um, he's gone over to Argentina to do football stuff over there and apparently like, if you ask Argentinians who is the greatest footballer ever if you go over there they say Maradona Messi isn't even in the conference. Like, it's Maradona. That's it. Yeah. Like, he is a... There is a church of Maradona in well, Argentina. I th-
0: Mas, uh, uh, Messi has played his entire career in Europe and hasn't brought anything I, home for the Argentinian public. Yeah, so, but... Yeah, I think it's understandable. That yeah. That it's would a, be the It's view.
1: a bit like Bobby Charlton being considered one of England's greats of all time. And I'm like, really? Really? I know that, you know, he w- was captain for the World Cup and everything like that. I think most of the golden generation would wipe the floor with them quite frankly even they they won Biddley squat well i think i, I think we tried to have this
2: conversation once before and actually realized that the golden generation maybe aren't as golden as we thought they were but i think we're going off it on time here it's not so, the direction i expected it to go to i games. think if some of our listeners might know a bit more about diego Maradona and how good he was as a club footballer so, remember, we've got new social media channels. So, it's facebook.com forward slash the Castle, View. The Castle View. I was trying to remember if there was in it. And, Andrew, what is the Twitter handle? And Twitter is at the TheCastleView. At the Castle View. So, let us know what you think on Maradona, on Rishi Sunak's spending review, and on what your Christmas plans are and whether you're going to be sitting home alone all Christmas and listening to Nicola or not. <laughs> and until then, we'll see you next time. TDO. Bye-bye.